Are we good now? Okay. That was, uh, that was my fault. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> didn't have it fully plugged in here today. So it is good to be here with you today. Uh, thankful for the opportunity to preach and uh, perform here. Uh, some of you uh, got to see it, uh, some teens. I was able to come last year. But some of you are going to see something very unique that some of you may have never seen. I'm going to dramatically present God's Word from memory, word-for-word word scripture memory, but I'm also going to be preaching, right? We kind of talked about at the beginning, right? The five keys to be godly in an ungodly world, because we're living in ungodly days, and it's not unlike a certain character of the Bible named Daniel, who lived in pagan Babylon, right? And so what I want to do is I want to bring the story of Daniel and his life to all of you today. Uh, through the book of Daniel, right? Daniel's an amazing character, right? I mean, he's really is someone that comes off as impeccable, almost, almost perfect, right? Others had, had their mess-ups, you know, right? David was a man after God's own heart, but, you know, we know the issues that he had, right? We think about uh, Moses, right, was one that led Israel out of Egypt, but he did something where he couldn't even go to the promised land, right? Even Joseph was very good, but he had his issues with his own brothers and uh, was kind of a little uh, arrogant about it. But we know that Daniel is one, above all else, was really one who stands out as stellar and in an ungodly world, right? He is the one that he's in a secular environment, right? He's in Babylon High. <laughs> he's, he is in the place where it's totally against godliness. And, uh, and he spent his teenage years to his 80s in Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was a man of faith. He was a man of faith. Now, what does faith stand for? F-A-I-T-H. Fantastic Adventures in Trusting Him. Fantastic Adventures in Trusting Him. Daniel was a man of faith, and I know that all of us, by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit can become men and women and ch uh, kids of faith. And so I'm going to learn, we're going to learn about how we can do that in this time, especially in an un ungodly world, because he allowed God to be glorified in his life. And God wants to be glorified in your life. And this whole idea of being godly in an ungodly world is exactly what we're going to look at today. So normally, I would tell you to open your Bibles. But today, I want you to listen. I want you to experience. I'm going to invite you to listen to the Word of God proclaimed over you. Once we get into some of the points, you can definitely look into the Bible. But when you see me dramatically present Scripture, I want you to be able to actually feel the story, hear the story, but that you invite the Holy Spirit to open up your heart, to pay attention to what you could learn through that. So there's no Scripture reading for today, as you probably, uh, probably noticed, and that's because I'll be quoting about a third of the book of Daniel today. And so the message of this focus, uh, message and uh, the focus of this message is five keys to being godly in an ungodly world. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be do, I'll connect each of the five points to different sections or chapters of the book of Daniel. So I'll perform a section and then I'll preach on that key and I will continue to doing that throughout the rest of the message. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to jump right into Daniel chapter one. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. Lord, we know that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. So may it pierce our hearts, Lord. May you convict us. May you encourage us. May you challenge us. May you help us to grow. May you teach us about how we can be better men and women of faith. 
and especially through the book of Daniel. Lord, lead me, guide me, Lord. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, and may your word be exalted, and may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem and laid it under siege. Now the Lord delivered King Jehoiakim of Judah into his power, along with some of the vessels of the temple of God. He brought them to the land of Babylonia to the temple of his God and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king commanded Ashpenaz, who is in charge of his court officials, to choose some of the Israelites who were of royal and noble descent, young men in whom there was no physical defect, and who were handsome, uh, well-versed in all kinds of wisdom, well-educated, having keen insight, and uh, who were capable of entering the king's royal service, and to teach them the literature and language of the Babylonians. So the king assigned them a daily ration from his royal delicacies and from the wine he himself drank. They were to be trained for the next three years. At the end of that time, they were to enter the king's service. Now, as it turned out, among these young men were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But the uh, overseer of the court officials renamed them. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he named Shadrach. Mishael, he named Meshach. And Azariah, he named Abednego. Now Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the royal delicacies or the royal wine. He therefore asked the overseer of the court officials for permission not to defile himself. Then God made the overseer of the court officials sympathetic to Daniel. But he responded to Daniel, I fear my master, the king. He is the one who has decided your food and drink. What would happen if he saw that your appearance looked malnourished in comparison to the other young men your age? If that happened, you would endanger my life with the king. Daniel then spoke to the warden whom the overseer of the court officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, please, uh, test your servants for 10 days uh, by providing us with some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Uh, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who are eating the royal delicacies. <coughs> Deal with us in light of what you see. So the warden agreed to their proposal and tested them for 10 days. <clears throat> At the end of the 10 days... Their appearance was better. And their bodies were healthier than all the young men who had been eating the royal delicacies? So the warden removed the delicacies and the wine from their diet and gave them vegetables instead. <laughs> now as for these four young men, God endowed them with knowledge and skill in all sorts of literature and wisdom. And Daniel... Oh, he had insight into all kinds of visions and dreams. Now, when the time appointed by the king arrived, the overseer of the court officials brought them into Nebuchadnezzar's presence. 
Now when the king spoke with him, he did not find among the entire group anyone like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Now in every matter of wisdom and insight the king asked them about, he found them to be ten times better than any of the magicians and astrologers that were in his entire empire. Now Daniel lived on until the first year of Cyrus the king. That is Daniel chapter 1. So what is the first key we can pull from Daniel's life in the first chapter of being godly in an ungodly world? If you'd like, you can open your Bibles now to Daniel chapter 1 if you'd like to follow along. I'll just be looking at a few, a few verses. But the number one key is that he lived by biblical standards. He lived by biblical standards. And we see this most clearly in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Right? Because in 1 verse 8, in the translation I used, it means to, he made up his mind. But in other translations, it says he resolved or he determined. Right? And there's this existing idea that it was decided beforehand. Right? He predetermined. Because when do you decide to sin? Not in the moment. Right? I'm just going to be really, I'm just going to resist this temptation, resist that. No, that's the slippery slope. You've got to decide ahead of time when you're, what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Right? Daniel predetermined that he would not defile himself with the royal delicacies or the royal wine. Right? See, he knew the word of God as a young teenage man. He was a young Jewish man. He probably would have been 15, 16, who was most likely ripped away from his family. Right? King Nebuchadnezzar was someone who killed whom he wished, he spared whom he wished, he exalted whom he wished, and he brought low whom he wished. That's what Daniel chapter 5, 19 says. So his family was probably killed by Nebuchadnezzar, and he was brought 800 to 900 miles away from Judah. So he was an immigrant, right? And he was a captive, stolen, and put in a new environment. But he still knew the word of God. He knew the word of God as a young teenager, and he knew there were certain foods he could not eat. And so he had to work out a plan to, by talking to one person, then talking to another, right? He said, I'm going to live for God. Now, it might cost me my life, right? He, he went before, and, and this, this guy who was over him, he was fearful of the king. He says, I could lose my life. So Daniel easily could have lost his wife. But he said, I am going to, no matter what, live for God. And I've seen people get killed, but I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to live in faith right? Fantastic adventures and, tr and trusting him. There's two things going on in your life and in my life. You're either living in fear or you're living in faith. You're in one of those two modes. You can't go in either one, right? You're going to be in one or the other. And Daniel chose the latter. I'm going to live in relationship with God, right? We're not to follow the crowd in wrongdoing, right? Everyone around him, there's probably 50 to 100 other young men, and Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah stood amongst the pack. Now, I was a similar age as Daniel and his friends when I surrendered to Christ, and I really wanted to be rooted in his word. And so at 13 years old, I knew the word of God that I needed to run to. And my, my mom passed away from breast cancer when I was 13 years old. 
And my, my sister and my brother turned away from God. They started going to drugs. They started to go to bad relationships. And I knew that that is not what I could do. I had to run to God's word, and I had to say, no, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do these things that are bad. I'm not going to be sexually immoral, right? I'm not to curse. I'm not to cheat. And when sex, sexual temptation comes into my life, I memorize scripture so that I might not sin against him, that I could use that temptation. And we have to do this with everything in our lives, right? For some of you, you have had totally had to have your brain reprogrammed, right? You've had to, maybe you've come to Christ later in life and you're so used to living the world's ways, but then you realize, no, I need to live according to the biblical truth. We're to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So what about you? Where are you at with your finances, your purity, your honesty, right? You've got to get on the high road. You've got to get the scriptural exit sign, right? The enemy, when he tempts us, we have to put the word of God up there. And then you're on a different, right, or different route, right? You're praising God. You're glorifying God because God was there. And that's why you've got to memorize the word of God. It's just a verse, just a phrase, something to say, I'm not going to sin against you. We have to live by biblical standards. Now, what's the second key? Let's find out in Daniel chapter 2. Now in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Now when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream. That troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, uh, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So uh, tell me the dream and interpret it for me. (laughs) Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth, no one on earth who could do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except uh, the gods, (laughs) and they do not live among humans. Now this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king 
and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He asked them to pray for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends would not be destroyed along with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then in a night vision, the mystery was revealed to Daniel. So Daniel praised the God of heaven. Let the name of God be praised forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Or he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch then took Daniel to the king at once and said, <clears throat> I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king then said to Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, magician, enchanter, or astrologer can reveal the dream, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. What an awesome scene with Daniel to speak with wisdom and tact as a young teenager. And I didn't get to do the whole, I didn't have time to do the whole dream scenario, but he reveals the mystery and he, he recognized it wasn't him. It was God that revealed that mystery. And so the number two key is we're to honor the authorities in our life. Number two key is honor the authorities in our life. And we see this most clearly in Daniel chapter 2, 14 through 16. This is not happening in our world today. Whether employers, whether our, uh, as citizens, as government, right? But in Daniel's world, he honored them. He didn't agree with them, right? There's people that we don't agree with, but his standards were different. He didn't curse the darkness. He shined the light, right? We see that when mad King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, this crazy dream, he demands everyone, he demands the wise men to tell him what his dream was and to interpret it. And when the astrologers try to persuade him that no one else has ever asked such a thing, he gets so furious that he wants to execute everyone, have all their heads chopped off. <laughs> but what does Daniel do? What does Daniel do when the commander of the king's guard is rounding up everyone to kill? Daniel talks to him. And, and he talks and he says, what's going on? Right? He asks him questions, he inquires, and he does it with wisdom and tact. Hey, hey, why did the king do this? Right? He's trying to get this clarity. And when Arioch explains what the king is doing, that he's having a bad day, Daniel goes into the king and he asks for time. He asks for time. He was the only one who asked. He was the only one who asked for time, right? But I believe the king was more willing to accept that request because of Daniel's established character, 
right? Because we also see in chapter 1 that he also honored the other authorities in his life, right? He asked for permission not to defile himself, right? And then he spoke to the warden afterwards and said, hey, can we test this out? Can we try something? If it doesn't work, that's okay, right? That's a great way to work with your boss, right? When you can say, hey, can we try this? Can we test this out, right? See, he honored the people in his life. Daniel honored them as a teenager. He honored them as a middle-aged man, and he honored them as an elderly man. He honored people, and he loved people. You can still do that even if you don't agree with the person. How are you doing in your honoring? Your supervisor, do they sense that you have their best interests in heart, that you're seeking to serve them well and serve people well and to be a blessing, right? But more than that, you can do that with your spiritual leaders, right? With your, with your pastors, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, show deep appreciation for those who minister among you. Galatians 6 verse 6 says, share all good things with those who instruct you. Show it. Don't say it. Share it. Right? Do you have an ability? Do you have a skill? Do you have a lake home? Right? Do you have, do you, are you a mechanic, a dentist? What can you offer your pastor that's good? Share that. Right? That's the important thing for showing to your pastor an elder or ministry leader. But you can also do this with any authority in your life, right? No matter where they are, right? And you can love them even if they don't return that favor. Right? So it's amazing how he honors them. And then we see that Daniel interprets the dream. We see that he interprets the dream in the rest of chapter 2, so I didn't get a chance to do that. But then he promotes Daniel, and he promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so they are definitely under the favor of the king. But then, if anyone knows what happens next, well, we'll just find out. King Nebuchadnezzar had a golden statue made. It was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. He erected it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent out his summons to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other authorities of the province to attend the dedication of the statue that he had erected. Uh, so the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial authorities assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected. They were standing in front of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. Then the herald made a loud proclamation. To you, O peoples, nations, and language groups, the following command is given. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. <clears throat> to all the supervisors, oh, um, your majesty has issued a decree that uh, anyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zithala, harp, uh, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace? Well, 
there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image of gold, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Hmm? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the flames of the fire so hot that they killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. <laughs> then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. <clears throat> he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Uh, certainly, uh, your majesty. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unarmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening to the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. <laughs> and the satrap, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. 
They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree at the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. Then King Nebuchadnezzar promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I think there are more amens and hallelujahs in that story than any other story in all of Scripture. I just think some of those passages, some of those things, right, we think, oh, this is crazy, this is like a movie, but all that happened. And it's amazing. And what is the third key that we can learn from Daniel chapter 3? Develop godly and praying friendships. Develop godly and praying friendships. We see this most clearly in Daniel chapter 3, 17 through 18. Right? These three men, they stuck together. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing strong. Right? We see that Daniel or we see that they, they stuck together. But we also see this in chapter 2, right? right? What did Daniel do in chapter 2 as well? Right? He didn't try to go figure out the king's dream by himself. No, he first asked for time, and then he went directly to his friends and said, you got to pray. You, we need mercy because this is not going to happen by my own strength or by my own understanding. Right? He went to his friends, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and God revealed, God answered that prayer. But you also need the men and women in your life to stand strong during those fiery trials, right? To stand in the, that fiery furnace that you go through, right? And I realized that myself. I was engaged to be married a couple of years ago, and um, long story short, uh, she broke off the engagement wasn't ready to get married, and there were some hard times. It kind of came as a shock to me, and I didn't have those godly and praying friendships at that time, and I'm so grateful for God's mercy that he kept me from getting married because I would have had her and her family as my only source of social, emotional, spiritual connection, and that, that cannot be limited to two or three people in your family, right? We're going to disappoint each other. But when you can have men in your life or women in your life that's going to help you, right? When you have those challenges with family or whatnot, that you can stand together. You can talk through those things. It's so, so important. And now by God's grace, I have those three, those two, three godly brothers that I know God answered that prayer, right? Because you think about a single stick, right? When we have pressure in our lives, right? When you have a single stick and you snap it, it snaps real quick, right? It snaps real quick. The pressure, it don't, you don't need much pressure to do that, right? But when you get four, five, six sticks, right? You put them on a bundle together, right? And you try to push it, right? You try to strain it, right? Same pressure, same amount of pressure. But as you're doing that, right, it is going to bend, but it's not going to break. It's going to bend, but it's not going to break, right? See, maybe I'm weak, right? You know, my, my, my spouse passed away. Oh, there's pressure, pressure. I lost my job during COVID and I haven't been able to get one back in the last three years. Pressure, pressure. But when you have those people around you, people in your church, people that are going to be there to pray with you and to stand with you, it is so important. And that's what Daniel had. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. Those friendships are so important. Now for these last two keys, 
Uh, I'm going to actually do Daniel chapter 6. We're going to get to the end of his life. So the majority, Daniel chapter 1 through 5, or chap- chapter 1 through 4, Daniel was probably in his teenage uh, adult years that we see. But when we jump to chapter 6, we see he is 81 years old. 81 years old. So I'm going to finish off with those last two keys from Daniel chapter 6. So this is years later. A new king has come on uh, after Nebuchadnezzar, and we get to see uh, how he shines in this ungodly world. Now, many years later, Darius the Mede took control of the kingdom when he was about uh, 62 years old. It seemed like a good idea to Darius to appoint over the kingdom 120 satraps. Over them would be three supervisors, one of whom was Daniel. Now, these satraps were accountable to them so that the king's interest might not incur damage. Now, this Daniel was distinguishing himself above the other supervisors and satraps, for he had an extraordinary spirit. In fact, the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Consequently, these supervisors and satraps were trying to find some pretext against Daniel in connection with administrative matters. But they were unable to find any such damaging evidence because he was trustworthy and guilty of no negligence or corruption. So these men concluded, we won't find any pretext against this man Daniel unless it is in connection with the law of his God. So the supervising satraps came by collusion to the king and said, O king, live forever. To all the supervisors of the kingdom, the satraps, prefects, governors, and counselors, it seemed like a good idea for a royal edict to be issued and an interdict to be enforced. For the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human other than you, O king, should be thrown into a den of lions. Now, let the king issue a written interdict so that it cannot be altered according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. So King Darius issued the written interdict. Now when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, just as he had always done before. Then those officials who had gone to the king came by collusion and found Daniel praying and asking for help before his God. So they approached the king and said to him, Did you not issue an edict to the effect that for the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human other than to you, O king, should be thrown into a den of lions? That is correct, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the edict you issued. Three times daily he offers his prayer. Now, when the king heard this, he was very upset and began thinking about how he might rescue Daniel until late afternoon he was struggling to find a way to rescue him. Then those officials, then those men came by collusion to the king and said, Recall, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or decree that the king 
issues can be changed. <coughs> so, the king gave the order, and Daniel was brought and thrown into a den of lions. The king consoled Daniel by saying, Your God, whom you continually serve, will rescue you. Then a stone was brought and placed over the opening to the den. The king sealed it with his signet ring and with those of his nobles so that nothing could be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king departed to his palace, but he spent the night without eating, and no diversions were brought to him. He was unable to sleep. In the morning, at the earliest sign of daylight, the king got up and rushed to the lion's den. Now as he approached the den, he called out to Daniel in a worried voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you continually serve able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and closed the lion's mouth so that they have not harmed me because I was found to be innocent before him, before, and nor, nor have I done any harm to you, O king. Then the king was delighted and gave an order to haul Daniel up from the den. So Daniel was hauled up out of the den. He had no injury of any kind because he had trusted in his God. The king gave another order. And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They, their children, and their wives. They did not even reach the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and language groups who were living in all the land, Peace and prosperity. I have issued an edict that throughout all the dominion of my kingdom, people ought to revere and fear the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his authority lasts forever. He rescues and delivers and performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Wow. Daniel chapter 1, verse 19. When the king spoke with them, he did not find among the entire group anyone like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He was probably 18 years old, 17 years old. And Daniel chapter 6, 3 through 4. Now this Daniel was distinguishing himself above the other supervisors and satraps, for he had an extraordinary spirit. He was trustworthy and guilty of no negligence or corruption. He was 81 years old. He was way past retirement age. 
So you see, the king sets up 120 people in charge of his kingdom with three supervisors over them, and Daniel is one of them. And the king says, you know what? I'm going to make Daniel in charge of everyone. That's not going to fly with all the others. All the 122 guys are like, who's this punk? (laughs) Who's this guy? We don't want this old man. He's a godly man too, so he's going to ruin our plans to do whatever we want to do. right? So we're not going to get away with that, what we want to do, because he's righteous. He's doing everything right. So you know what we need to do? We need to get something on. We need to get some dirt on him. 122 people. Then they began to search for something. Just any iota, anything wrong, anything to criticize or condemn him. Nothing. Nada. They didn't find anything. Now my question to you is, what if you had 122 people trying to find something bad about you? How quickly would they find something? Your Facebook the things you've done, right? The texts you've sent, right? It's not going to be very hard. But 122 people wanted to take him out and they couldn't. They couldn't find anything except for the connection of his God, right? Look at your tax returns. When you watch TV, your emails, social media accounts, if 122 people looked at that, I'm sure they'd find 100 things. But they had nothing on Daniel. For over 80 years and they couldn't find a shred. Not an iota of wrongdoing. Wow. Wow. I don't know about you, but this idea of being always faithful, always reliable, always trustworthy, excelling in what we do all the days of our lives and someone couldn't find anything wrong with you, I want to be that kind of person. I want you to be that kind of person. And that's why the fourth key is to excel in all you do with God's help. The fourth key is to excel in all you do with God's help, right? You could be a teenager. You could be in your 80s. You could be, you could be your adult years. Any one of us can do this, right? With God's help, we can be that type of person, right? But maybe you say, Jeremy, you know, I'm not that kind of person, right? Well, guess what? Today's the first day of the rest of your life. You can go home and you can say, Lord, this is where I was going. I was going down the slippery slope, but I need to get to higher ground, right? Right, Jesus, with your help, I can be able to live this way. Daniel was able to live this way, and so can you. Right? We see that so clearly in Daniel chapter 1 to Daniel chapter 6. But if you hear anything from me today, the number six or the number five key, number five key, I want you to hear this. To spend daily time with God as your highest priority. Spend daily time with God as your highest priority priority. Right? Daniel chapter 6 is when we see this most clearly, right? Daniel knew that the document had been signed, right? The memo went out, right? He got the invoice or he got the email. There's no praying to anybody, right? This is fascinating to me. What does he do? He goes to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem, everything, no secrets, nothing, I, f- I feel like I'd be someone to say, hey, God, I'll still pray to you three times a day, but could I close the windows just for, the- just for 30 days, right? I don't know about you. I would do that. But no, no, he is completely in the open. And what does he do? He gives thanks before his God three times a day just as he had always done before. He's 81 years old, and he started as a teenager, but every day for all those years, giving thanks to God, spending time with God. And he was a busy guy. 
He was a busy guy. He would have been the prime minister, right? He would have been the number two in all of the kingdom. He would have had meetings. He would have had business trips. He would have done that every day, every day, every day, right? He must have had some sniffly days, right? Sniffly nose days, some sick days, some bad days in the office. This is the worst day in the office you could have, 122 people, right? But he had all this, and he spent every day with God, right? Over a decade ago, when I first became a believer at 11 years old, my mentor, my first mentor in life, showed me the value of why it was essential to be in God's Word every single day. And since then, I have had the simple routine of reading the Bible every day, and that has changed my life. Now, what I wish I could tell you is that I've done it every day since I was 11 years old, 15 years ago a day. Fortunately, by God's grace, I have been in his word every day for about 90% of my life. And I'm hoping by God's grace that I can get back into that routine every single day. But here's the thing. On the days that I am not in God's word, I can tell the difference. I can tell the difference. When I haven't started the day looking to Jesus, being fed by his word, I can notice it in my attitude, in the way I respond to things, right? I'm, not more, I'm more easily agitated, more susceptible to temptation, less focused. What about you? Can you tell the difference? How's your daily habit of being in God's word? See, because Deuteronomy in Matthew says it is best when it, it, sa- it says it best when it says man does not live on bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just as we are fed and nourished every day physically, we need to be fed and nourished every day spiritually. We need to have spiritual meals just like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But Deuteronomy and Matthew tells us these spiritual meals are even more important than our necessary food because we need God in our lives. I need Jesus in my life. I need him to shine through me. And it can be simple, right? It can be a devotional. It can be some, a chapter. It can be some verses. Don't make it complicated. But being in God's word, when you're strapped for more time, you can read a proverb or a psalm of the day. And I see the way that Daniel was with his relationship with God saying, I want, you know, I see it and I say, I want to be a Daniel. And if Daniel did them, I can do them. If Daniel did them, you can do them. And your light can shine and wherever you're going, you're shining for the glory of God. That is why you are here, to shine for the glory of God. Now I want to close in prayer, but before I do that, I want you to take a moment to think about these five things. Right, I think every single one of us could have at least one thing that we could take away and say, you know what, I need to develop that. I need to grow in that, right? How are you doing with living by biblical standards? How are you doing with honoring the authorities in your life? Maybe you say, man, I, need, I really need that. I need to honor the authorities in my life because I haven't been doing that, right? How is your friendships? Do you have godly and praying friendships, right? If you don't have that, seek God, ask for him, knowing that he can provide that. Are you excelling in all you do? Are you excelling as a, as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, doing the, the best effort in your schooling and you're and your doing in your, in your um, you, know, ex, you know, in terms of your sports or anything or in your, your job or, you know, in retirement that you say, I'm still going to use the gifts that God's given me, right? And then, do you spend daily time with God as your highest priority? I want you to think about that. Maybe you need all five. And if that's okay, I'm with you. <laughs> I'll pray for you in that. But if you have one of those things, think about one of those things that you can take away. And I'm going to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example of Daniel and how he lived as a godly man in an ungodly world. And we're not too far removed from that in this Babylon, Lord, that just 
Uh, they call evil good and good evil and, and going out those ways, Lord. But these are all things, Lord, that every single one of us can thrive when we have these five keys in our lives, Lord. So I pray for those, Lord, to be able to go back home, to live by biblical standards, say, you know what, I need God's word to be able to know how to live my life, right? I need to be able to honor the authorities in my life. And if we need to repent of that, Lord, we pray that, I pray that they would do that, Lord. I pray that I would do that, Lord. Pray that people that would develop godly and praying friendships, if there's someone here today that they can just take that next step with someone at church and say, hey, I want to go out with coffee. Hey, would you want to check in with each other once a week or, you know, pray for each other? I pray for that, Lord. I pray as well, Lord, that we would excel, Lord, by your grace to do everything with excellence, right? Whether we eat or drink, whatever we are doing, we do all for the glory of God. And Lord, finally, Lord, may we always be men and women of the word, right? Whether we're five years old or whether we're 81 years old, to read your word, to be fed by your word, we know it is a powerful transforming effect in our lives. I pray that, Lord, and help us to be godly in this ungodly world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What a beautiful song. What a beautiful truth. What an awesome morning to learn of our God, to be reminded of our God who sustains us, who saves us, who desires to be in relationship with us. So as we go throughout this week, let's behold him. Let's live out to this week, today, in our identity in Christ.